Hey there, nature lovers. Welcome back to another episode of the Birdie Bunch podcast. Thanks for spending another week with us. Without further ado, let's get into it. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Birdie Punch Podcast, where we talk everything conservation, education, and fascination. My name is CJ, and I'm joined by my two co-hosts. I'm Brittany. And I'm Matt. And we have an episode that I'm really excited about this week, but before we get into all of that, how are we doing this week, folks? I'm doing pretty all right. I'm getting over a little bit of a cold with all this weather changing and seasons and all of that stuff, my sinuses are like, we hate you. So just trying to kind of get over that slump. Yeah, this week's just been really busy, like really, really busy. I feel like I haven't breathed yet, which is pretty weird feeling. Lots of lab reports, as well as an exam, as well as four meetings just tomorrow alone. It's just been... It's been a long one, but we're coming close to the end of the semester, so that's all I can hope for. Well, glad that we're coming close to the end of the semester. It's almost my favorite time of the year, Christmas time. But um, I'm doing okay this week. Last night, I actually attended a really fun lecture at the Chicago Cultural Center, and it was titled, um, I believe it was Architecture and Ecosystems, or Architecture and the Ecosystem, and it was about, like, architecture and how we can use it to like preserve species on the panel there was like an architect from i believe they were from new york and then two uh, local people here who do conservation work um, one from lincoln park zoo and the other from the nature conservancy so really awesome stuff that i learned a lot and i attended that um last night as of recording so you know if i if i learn any more from that maybe i'll share that on my social media but we'll talk more about that later but before we do anything else, let's jump into our creature feature. So our creature feature for this week, I haven't pulled out this trick in a while, but I want to see if you guys can give any non-spoilery hints as to what our creature feature is for this week. Um, I will say... It's a, it's a pretty exciting, pretty exciting choice. And I almost say it's like kind of electrical. Yeah, you could say it's pretty electric. Absolutely. Brittany, any non-spoilery hints as to our creature feature? Um, I think it's, it's, uh, I think of how I want to say this <laughs> without one. it actually spoiling anything. One. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. Mm, I think that it is uh, one that is pretty bright and um sure short <laughs> i don't i sure. don't have one that's not gonna spoil it that's okay that that's okay that, that's okay <laughs> when i was when i was going through all the animals that i could choose for this episode and you know figuring out which creature i was gonna feature this animal popped up and i was like i choose you <laughs> But Wait, did you what? catch them all? I, you know what? I haven't caught any, but I'm on my way. Well, let's go into our creature feature. <laughs> this week, we are going to be talking about a creature that you've probably never heard of before. And if you have, 
you've probably heard it uh, maybe in relation to something else. This week's creature feature is a small rabbit relative called the Pika. That's right. You heard me right. It's just Pika. Not Pika Achoo. 2, I choose you, but Pika. Two. So, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Bless me. Sorry. Bless. I, I apologize. I didn't even say bless you. Oh, my gosh. It's okay. <laughs> so the Pika, like I said, is a small rabbit relative. They can be found pretty much all over the globe. There's a bunch of different species. But it kind of has these shorter ears. Like the rabbit normally has like long ears. These guys have short ears. And they're about like half the size, maybe even like a quarter of the size of your common like cottontail rabbit. They're very, very tiny. And they are really just the cutest. I'm not gonna lie. I really thought you put Pika in the in the group thing as like you were gonna try to make Pikachu like creature feature. And no. I just looked it up and it is the cutest no. little freaking fracking thing in the entire world. Um, and should be protected at all costs. Yeah, the Pika is a real animal. So while it might not be the exact um inspiration for our friend Pikachu the electric mouse Pokemon, it is a real animal. And it is this small herbivorous mammal with thick light brown fur. That's like that only only like six to eight inches. and only weighs like four to six ounces. It's super duper tiny. They can only be, be found in rocky talus slopes near meadows, but are sometimes found along rocky areas and you know, around streams and lava fields near where their food is, right? So they're going to be eating a lot of vegetation. They don't necessarily migrate, but they do disperse to different areas, you know, to spread out and grow as their population does despite their cuddly appearance pikas which are the smallest number of the lagomorph group which is a group of mammals that includes rabbits and hares are among some of north america's toughest animals pikas are one of the few mammals in the lower 48 states that can survive their entire lives in alpine terrain pikas have adapted to living in these really inhospitable environments where most other mammals don't even dare adventure. It's cold, rocky, and treacherous for the tiny pika, and they try to protect themselves by living in these big colonies. They're active during the daytime, so they're diurnal. That's the word for an animal that's active during the daytime, and they don't hibernate in winter. They're active all year round. Major threats to the pikas include livestock, uh, grazing, human disturbance, and most of all, climate change. For many years, the polar bear has been a symbol of climate change all over the globe. But the pika has pretty good grounds to, uh, you know, battle <laughs> with the polar bear for this unwanted honor. Um, pikas are suffering because climate change has brought higher temperatures to their mountain homes, right? They've already disappeared more than one third of their previously known habitat in Oregon and Nevada. Despite their dire situation, the American pika is not federally listed under the Endangered Species Act. And without that protection and help, American pikas could be the next species to go to climate change. So despite all of this danger, American pikas are often heard before they are seen. They make calls to sing and define and protect their territory, alerting others to the presence of dangers. So they might be a pretty good companion for a journey across Canto. Anyway, that's the Pika. What are our thoughts and feelings? Yeah, I love it. I know this. Oh, just like looking at photos of it, you just want to like squeeze this little face and like 
rabbit's ears. Oh, it's so cute. It's real, real cute. It doesn't look anything like a Pikachu. It doesn't. But I guess its name must have inspired it for some reason. I don't know. I it does not look like a Pikachu, but like Pikachus are small. Pikas are small. Um, that's really about I feel like where that stops, other than the name. Yeah. But... I, mean, I mean you could argue that you could argue that a Pikachu is, you know, similar to a rabbit in the sense that it has those long ears. It's pretty rodent-like. But it is titled the Electric Mouse Pokemon. And we're going to get into some more Pokemon discrepancies later in the episode with their species. But uh, without without getting spoiling our main topic for today, let's jump into our current events segment. We're talking nature in the news. So for my current event, it comes from The Guardian, and the title reads, Victory for Spotted Owl as Trump-era plan to, re to reduce habitat is struck down. And so the spotted owl um, was, in, was in some some trouble because Trump tried to remove about 3.4 million acres of their habitat to allow for logging. And so the Biden administration has pretty much just shut that down, which is really exciting because the this owl lives in Washington and Oregon and the Northern California area, area and it's been on a decline for a really long time. So that 3.4 million acres would have been devastating for this bird. And so it's really exciting that 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 is no longer gonna happen so the whole new plan um roughly 204,000 acres so two percent of their 9.6 million acres are going to be de designated as a habitat for the owls and then three million of that will be uh, restored and protected, so that land being able to be protected and restored for for that it also meets. It, they say that it also meets obligations to the logging industry to help wildfires and um, and things like that. Um, but it's just kind of exciting that something that could have been catastrophic for these owls is now being um, squashed and hopefully it'll kind of help and and it's definitely not going to harm so it's it's a win in for the owls yeah the relationship between those owls as well as barred owls and looking at how the habitat dynamics are affecting that and the kind of the changing the structure of those ecosystems that are allowing barred owls to swoop in take over it's a really fascinating case study into not necessarily invasive species management but in i would call it encroaching species management you know barred owls are native to north america and northern spotted owls kind of relegated to a pretty specific region um that does fit the bill for what barred owls can survive in as well and it's crazy how the way that we've altered environments is affecting species ability to compete even in regards to what we wouldn't traditionally view as an invasive species, right? 
like Bardal wouldn't view it that way. But it's it's truly a fascinating, you know, and it's really good news because it's really, really important as far as not even just Northern Spotted Owl, but for so much other diversity up in that region. It's really, really, really important. So kind of in addition to those success stories, I actually have one as well um, from Manga Bay published on November 3rd. Um, titled New Protections Announced for Galapagos Islands and Beyond at COP26. So basically, on November 1st, Ecuador's president announced that they were going to expand the marine reserve that surrounds the Galapagos Islands, the Galapagos Islands Marine Reserve, to also encompass an additional 60,000 square kilometers, which is huge, right? You don't hear that kind of protection swings happening very often, and especially in a marine Reserve, this is super duper crucial. The last time I can really think of something happening like that is I don't remember where it was, but it was off the coast of the Atlantic and the Obama administration came in um, and set up protections for that. And that's the last time I could remember something like that. But this was super duper important because it kind of goes in and it's crazy because it was announced at actually the climate summit, um, which I'll get into that a little bit. But it basically goes in and covers a lot of area that is across the Cocos Ridge. And this ridge is an underwater mountain range. So it's, um, it's near, it's on the northeastern side of the Galapagos um, that uh, kind of cuts close to uh, Costa Rica. And this ridge is super important because it forms a really important migratory route for underwater species known as the Cocos Galapagos Swimway. And because of that, this new reserve actually halts all fishing activity whatsoever in this spot and another spot will only prohibit long line fishing but long line is one of the um, particularly deadly ones for a lot of marine species and this is super duper awesome right i remember we had a current event a while back where we were seeing chinese um, fleets popping up and fishing the galapagos and this is a really well measured response and it really helps with increasing biodiversity, allowing species that are global travelers a safe area to cross through so they can make their migration routes. A lot of these migrations are based upon food supply availability, as well as reproduction and getting to warmer regions when you have um, different temperature variability across seasons and stuff like that. And all those routes are super duper duper important for the life history of these species because if a species can't have safe passage to get to its breeding ground not only do you lose that individual organism that was killed but you're also losing the introduction to the reproductive pool where they're going as well which then supplements what you lost it's a really important cascade effect that we need to avoid but what's also really cool is that it actually helps combat climate change and this is where why it was announced at COP26, this climate um, conference that occurred in Scotland um, just this last month. What's really important about oceans that there is that they, along with like forests and big bulk of trees, are just about the biggest buffer in halting climate change. Oceans absorb a lot a lot of carbon dioxide, a lot, a lot of those fossil fuel related gases. And what happens, and this is why we're seeing oceanic acidification, because they take on that CO2 um, and it converts into a couple of different acids 
that then provide a lot of problem. They don't allow, you know, once they're converted, it lowers the threshold, the amount that that ocean is able to absorb. But also at the same time, as oceans get more acidic, things that have like limestone and silicate based shells like mussels or snails or something like that, those dissolve. They can't survive because the acid dissolves those. And so preserving this amount of ocean and preserving all the biodiversity that contributes there and allowing species that migrate through like hammerheads and leatherback sea turtles and all those crazy, crazy things, allowing them safe refuge just increases the amount of CO2 that that system can handle and that that system can uptake. It's super duper exciting. It's not the end of the game because they also need to expand it into the other half of the Cocos Galapagos swimway, which is involves connecting that one half. So they connected the side that's connected to the Galapagos. Now they need to go from Costa Rica outward um, connect the other half as well so the man the species can move between darlin island um, and costa rica um, and all through that region but it is the perfect step forward that we need um, everyone's very very excited about it they're looking at even expanding to make a marine corridor known as the eastern tropical pacific marine corridor so this is a big step in moving towards what they want to do which is protecting 30% of their marine waters by 2030. This is a big step forward, and it's a crucial step forward. And it's super exciting to see that it is happening, and it is on the radar. It's coming soon, folks. Very, very cool. Okay, can I just confirm with both of you that I haven't done this current event yet? Um, that Pablo Escobar's hippos now have legal personhood? Okay, great. <laughs> By the looks on your face, I think. No, because you just you did one about how they're gonna they be were... castrated, right? Yeah, they yeah, were getting snipped, they're but they're not snipped. now because they're legally people. <laughs> what? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> my article is from the Guardian, and it's titled "Can an animal be a person?" Yes, if they are Pablo Escobar's cocaine hippos. Um. <laughs> So in the United States, a federal court has recognized the hippos as, quote, interested persons with legal rights. But what the case really has to watch out for is that of Happy the Elephant. Um, and I'll get back to what happy who Happy the Elephant is in just a minute. But for those of you who are maybe this is their first time listening to the Birdie Bunch podcast, you're not following the saga of Pablo Escobar's cocaine hippos. Basically... When Pablo Escobar, like known drug lord, was killed, I think, his, he had a bunch of exotic hippos that he kept in Colombia. They got loose and now are a horrible invasive species there. Um, and a few weeks ago, I gave a current event about how the United States was sending, like, basically, you know, injections for these hippos so the Colombian government could basically chemically castrate them so they couldn't continue to reproduce and be a menace there to their ecosystems but the hippos um <laughs> owned by the late colombian kingpin and their many descendants have now been the subject of a lawsuit against the colombian government which was seeking to kill and sterilize them 
from the four hippos illegally imported to Escobar in the 1980s. There are now over 80 of them left. And a ruling this past Monday, as of recording, meant that the hippos um, at the, the U.S. court has no sway over what the Colombian authorities are going to do. And the U.S. can no longer provide those resources to help the Colombian government and the hippos. Yeah, it, it's it's really fascinating. But the Animal Legal Defense Fund, which lodged in the case, has held a narrow but profound victory in its longstanding efforts to grant a- animals additional rights under U.S. law. Courts in India, Pakistan, and Argentina have already recognized the legal, air quotes, personhood of animals. And in Colombia, they're permitted to sue. But so far, efforts extend their rights under U.S. and United Kingdom laws to have been met with skepticism. Basically, the idea of giving animals personhood is just kind of another way of framing like unethical treatment of the animals. So if you're not familiar with Happy the Elephant, people are trying to sue the Bronx Zoo um, because an elephant was being detained illegally. And they're trying to grant this elephant personhood so it can... You know what? I'm not even 100% sure. I I believe it's so it can get out of captivity. This this happened with a monkey with PETA, too. Do yeah, you remember this lawsuit? I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was another you know example of animals getting personhood with a species of macaque where it picked up a camera that a photographer was having and it took a, air quotes, selfie of itself with this guy's camera. And the guy tried to use it as a photograph that he took and like in National Geographic. And PETA sued this man and National Geographic for not crediting the monkey because it took the picture. And the monkey was then granted legal personhood and now owns the picture. So it, it, it this is just another really interesting development in the story of the cocaine hippos and also a really interesting layer to a conversation that we had just a few weeks ago or last week, I don't know how time works, with um, media representation of animals. <laughs> um, we don't have the time to get into the specifics of animal rights organizations on uh, conservation, but uh, the, the, I just thought this was a really fascinating story. <laughs> what, are, what are our thoughts before we move on to our next segment? I have so many, so, so many. And- too many to really, to really f- freaking share with um, the amount of time we have. But um, it's very interesting that um, that in in the world, uh, you know, I yeah, no, I don't have anything positive to say. Yeah, like uh, it's 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 tough um, because the impacts of this. Are not super positive, um, and the implications even less so. Um, Matt, any any closing thoughts on this current event or any other current events today? No. Fair enough. Well, let's move on to our main topic for today. So this week we're ha- we have an episode that I'm really excited about, and it's an episode I've wanted to do for a long time, but didn't quite know how to do. So we're just going to do it. You know have fun we are going to be talking about animals in fiction this week and what does that mean we talked about uh media representation of conservation last week and that really got me inspired 
uh, to discuss animals that we've just sort of made up in fiction, right? Animals are represented in literature. Animals are represented in, in television media, in movie media. And they aren't always representations of real animals. Sometimes they are, you know, anthropomorphized versions of animals. Sometimes they are completely brand new creations that writers and artists have developed for their stories. And today we're going to be talking about some of these different, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Fandoms almost? <laughs> Where some of these different creatures exist. And we're going to be talking about some of their real life animal counterparts. Starting off with one of my favorites, Pokemon. So we had our creature feature of this week as the Pika, talking about Pikachu and and uh, and uh, the Pika. Um, but there are so many other examples of Pokemon being inspired by animals. Some really obvious ones include things like Ekans and Arbok, where it's just snake and cobra backwards. Um, those are some really obvious examples. Ekans looks like a snake, Arbok looks like a cobra, and their names literally are snake and cobra backwards. You get other things like Ponyta, which is literally just a horse. And then you get other things, you know, such as seal or dugong, which are literally a seal and a dugong. So sometimes they're creative and sometimes they're not. But, you know, in uh, some more recent generations of Pokemon, we've seen some really interesting things in terms of uh, actually using scientific names to define Pokemon that are based on animals. One of my favorite examples, and I also know it's one of Matt's favorite examples, is a Pokemon called Corviknight. Corviknight is a steel flying type that is that is based off of a crow or a raven, and it has a lot of like metal armor on it. So it is a Corvid, like a crow or a raven, knight, like a suit of armor. So I just found that super, super exciting that they're actually using scientific names in terms of actually giving these Pokemon real names as well, based on their inspirations. There are tons of other inspirations. Well, I think one that's really fascinating is one that it's not even really referencing the animal in the name so much as the animal's mimicry tactic in the name, and that would be Dragalge. Yeah, that's a great one, right? We Dr talked about the uh, the Weedy Sea Dragon or the, the Leafy Sea Dragon just a few weeks ago mm -hmm. uh, when we talked about animals in costumes. But Dragalge is another really example, you know, putting algae in the name where it kind of looks like a weedy sea dragon. It is a literal weedy sea dragon. It is a dragon type Pokemon that looks like it has this like, you know, plant life flowing all over it. Very awesome example. Thanks for, thanks for that, Matt. There's a ton of other ones where designs are inspired by Pokemon. You get things like Rhydon and Rhyhorn looking like a rhino. You know, you get things like Blaziken being kind of inspired by a chicken, like fighting, uh, you know, like cockfighting and stuff. So there's a lot of really interesting inspired animals. Um, some of my favorite Pokemon include the starter Pokemon for uh, Gen 4, where all of the final evolutions are actually named after species that they resemble. So the grass starter is Torterra. Torterra starts with that Tor prefix, kind of resembling a tortoise. It looks like a turtle. And then Terra literally has the earth on its back. Infernape, literally, it is an ape on fire. It is an Infernape. And then the last one is Empoleon. It is literally an emperor penguin. 
That is literally what it is. It is like Napoleon the Emperor, but an Emperor Penguin. It's very, very cool. Pokemon are always going to be inspired by a lot of really awesome animals. That's part of what makes that series so fascinating for people and such a big draw. And, you know, it's these characters that really connect us to uh, these genres and these stories. Um, Brittany, what is your first example of animals in fiction? So for my first example is going to come to us from actually one of my favorite uh, fictional worlds, which is the Harry Potter world. We, I uh, stand Harry Potter. I hate J.K. Rowling, but I stand Harry Potter. Um, and so there are so many cool creatures in the Harry Potter world. Um, we kind of get a closer view into the creatures in Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. But there are examples throughout both franchises or, or parts of whatever. Um, but my first example is actually going to be the, the, the Thestral or um, Thestral. It kind of just, I always say Thestral. But these guys are black and bony, almost skeleton-like. Um, they they're, um, almost look like a horse with wings. But in the world of Harry Potter, they are invisible to most people unless you have seen death. Um, once you have seen with your own eyes somebody die, um, you can you can see these creatures. And so um, after in the in the fifth movie is when we're kind of introduced to them. And this is after Harry has seen Cedric Diggory die. And so both Harry and Luna have this bonding moment because they can both see them because she has seen her mom die. And these creatures are just super cool and they're really beautiful. And in the fifth movie, they actually ride them to the Ministry of Magic. And they're just really, really cool. But they do look like a horse. And so I think that's kind of interesting. Um, and like people do ride them because they actually ride them into, into the Ministry of Magic or fly them, I guess, into the Ministry of Magic. And another really cool example of animals that kind of look like in the Harry Potter world that kind of look like ones that we have, you know, in the real world is going to be the Niffler. Um, the Niffler were introduced to in not the actual Harry Potter series, but in Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. And they kind of look like a cross between a platypus and a, a prehensile tail porcupine. I have worked with PT porcupines and I, every single time I see them, I just think of the Niffler, um, but they have more of like a platypus type beak. Um, but these creatures are super attracted to um, really, like really shiny things. Um, so in the movie, they get into a bunch of trouble robbing a bank, a jewelry store, different things like that. They're just really cute, really fun, kind of, what is the word I'm looking for? They're, they're just little, little fun, quirky, I guess, little creatures that look like two of the creatures that we have here um, in the real world. Another one is going to be the Basilisk, which is in the second Harry Potter movie. Um, and the Basilisk is literally just a really big snake um, that uses uh, the pipes in Hogwarts to kind of get around. Um, and 
The difference is, though, because, of course, Harry Potter has to be magical. Um, if you look directly at the basilisk, directly in its face, um, you can die. Um, if you look at it through, uh, like, a secondhand way, so, like, through a mirror or a ghost or a puddle of water, um, instead of getting, instead of dying, you just become petrified. Um, I could literally kind of keep going on and on. Um, I will give a couple more, though. Um, another great example is Fluffy, who is a three-headed dog, who is Hagrid's pet, and the first kind of obstacle to get to the Sorcerer's Stone. Um, and, and so uh, is the guard dog, literally, um, to get down into that like tunnel system and just is a, literally a dog with three heads um and so the last one because we are the birdie bunch i have to mention a really cool bird is going to be the phoenix which the phoenix is mentioned in so many different shows and movies and things but literally is just a bird a phoenix is a bird that rises from the ashes and in the harry potter series it is dumbledore's pet um who in the second movie brings harry these um the sword of gryffindor and the sorting hat and it is just a really cool bird that harry thinks he kills because he the bird goes up in flames and but ends up being reborn and yeah there's literally endless amounts of animals i can literally talk about that look very similar to animals that we have here now um, I was very excited when Fantastic Beasts uh, came out because it was like a Harry Potter and literally zoology all in one. And I, there was nothing more that could make me happy. So I don't know, but there's lots of different examples, um, but those are just some. Before I move on to mine, I'd just like to point out that I have taken that test, the Pottermore test. I looked up the statistics of which ones were the rarest. And I will say, I do have the second rarest Patronus in the world the only reason i bring that up is because you mentioned it it is the thestral pretty weirdly targeted ad by pottermore to me kind of weird what's a patronus that's the this the spell you cast to get rid of the dementes mentors can i be a dementi no the evil yeah you jk to jk to jk rowling i'm evil <laughs> I was always confused about whether or not the Dementes were evil or the people who they listened to were evil. Wow. Definitely. I think both, right? Like the, de like the Dementors are capable of sucking out your soul. So I don't really think there's anything good that can be used. Hey, guys got to do. Hey, that's food. Hey, what's the matter for you? Hey, I think I'd be safe if I don't have a soul. No if your currency is soul, if your capital is soul, then you need a soul. Korea. Um, I also would like to point out that CJ has never seen Harry <laughs> I've Potter. Never, I've never mm -hmm. seen it or read it. Which I either. don't understand. Yeah, how we've been friends for so long, <laughs> and you, you haven't. I have a Harry Potter tattoo. Like I. I really like Harry Potter. I have a frog and a wizard hat tattoo, and that's pretty similar. <laughs> Hello, my baby. And that's actually... That's what we call 
foreshadowing, dear listeners. That is what we'd call foreshadowing. Wow. It's almost mm-hmm. like I'm going to keep that in the podcast or something. I know. I know. Also, just want to add my favorite Harry Potter creature was the augury, just because the lore behind that is so fascinating. I'm going to save that for this week's did you know a little infographic but the lore behind the creation of that creature very good i know a lot of our listeners have heard of pokemon right cj and i have referred to pokemon very many times on this podcast we've referred to harry potter less on this podcast but it's still something that i think has come up at least once or twice And now getting back to something that I know we have some familiarity with. In fact, going all the way to season one, episode, I believe five. It was seven. I believe season one, episode seven. They're both prime numbers. It counts. We're pitching it all the way to a particular Hanna-Barbera show. It's lasted a long, 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 long time. Opened up on Saturday mornings. It was, a Jeepers. Group, it was a group of ragtag kids and their fellow sidekick dog who we will be talking about. And his name was Scooby-Doo. Now, Scooby-Doo. Also known as? Scoobert Dubert. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Don't like that. Brittany, you put that face away. I don't want to see that again. <laughs> <laughs> Brittany, this is an auditory medium. You stop. So, Scooby-Doo. Species-wise, or breed-wise, if you really want to get into it, is a Great Dane. He is a large Great Dane with black spots. At some points in the show, he is bipedal. And it is canon that he has a prehensile tail, which is fascinating, as I can confirm that Great Danes do not, in fact, have prehensile tails. But they also can't talk, and he does that too, so who am I to judge, really? Now... What's interesting about the lore behind Scooby-Doo and the kind of creation of him is that originally when the show for Scooby-Doo was pitched, it was actually not Scooby-Doo at all. Originally, the show was set to be called Mysteries 5, which featured a group of kids with a bit of a sidekick character, but not one that was super important, named Too Much. And this was a dog who played the bongos. That also kind of looked like a mix between a Great Dane and a Sheepdog. And it kind of oscillated a little bit. Obviously, it didn't hash things out. But what happened was, when they pitched the show, too much was solidified as a Great Dane. They said, all right, screw the Sheepdog. We're going with Great Dane. And then CBS decided they liked this character, this bongo-playing dog, so much. They wanted to make the dog the pivotal portion of the show and so they changed the name of the show to the name of the dog and the dog's name comes from the syllables doobie doobie doo which frank sinatra uh, has a song called strangers in the night it's a beautiful song i love it if you would like to go listen to it but at the very end of this song it goes doobie doobie doo and that is literally where the, the pitcher came up with it. It's literally uh, Fred Silverman decided that was why he wanted to name it the dog. But also because, and looking into this, this wasn't the original proposal, but he found out that Scooby-Doo was actually 
a Cockney rhyming slang for the word clue, which mystery show, clue, Scooby-Doo, you tell me. Now, Scoob, my boy Scoobert, has popped up a lot. He's lasted for a long time. He's a pivotal part of just cartoon culture in general. He's popped up in shows like Supernatural and Buffy the Vampire Slayer and all, 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 all sorts of shows. Appeared on Johnny Bravo, a lot of Cartoon Network shows. Um, there's been He's many. John Cena. Yeah, that was pretty crazy. He was in an episode of Batman, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Um, he's popped up in Lego. Uh, basically, oh, wow. Apparently, he pops up in the new Space Jam movie. Was not aware of that. But he is. Yeah, he, he, he goes against the, 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 uh, the Monstars. I don't. Were the Monstars in that movie? Did you see that movie? I didn't see it. I'm pretty sure it's. Um, spoiler alert for the Looney Tunes Back in the Habit sequel. Spoiler alert. Um, I'm pretty sure the villain of that movie is Don Cheadle as Al G Rhythm. What? Al G. Like algorithm, right? Yeah. 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 Is that legit? I'm, I'm 95% sure Don Cheadle as Al G Rhythm is Who the would villain. make Don Cheadle a villain? Correct. That's just wrong. Correct. Yeah. You can't do that. No, you can't do that to the boy Don Cheadle. No, it's not the right. The worst Don Cheadle has been done before that is Ocean's Eleven making him do an English uh, Cockney accent. Yeah, I mean, you give anyone a Cockney accent, you kind of screw them over for life. Clue, um, Scooby-Doo. Back in yeah, Scooby-Doo, speaking of Cockney. Um, but what's interesting, too, is that in a recent iteration, the most recent iteration, in fact, of this show, um, Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated, which is a much more grungy one. It was like it actually had an overarching story frame, unlike all the other ones, which was just each episode was mystery solved. Nice. Mystery solved. Nice. It had an overarching kind of timeline a little bit. And we actually saw that it is canon in the Scooby-Doo universe that there are multiple other mystery style teams such as mystery incorporated all of which who have their own sidekick they're talking sidekick one of them was a ghost one of them was a parrot that was pretty crazy parrot i'm not going to spoil it but parrot not the best guy question mark and it really kind of threw the scooby-doo universe on its head a little bit but the thing that i kind of wanted to close with is like the importance of just this animal in the culture in pop culture and the importance of a great Dane to cartoon culture in general, Casey Kasem, who was a voice actor at one time for Shaggy, which is Scooby's sidekick, you know, technically owner, but really like, it's more like a friendship, you know, there doesn't seem to be like that kind of owner power dynamic at all. Um, but he said that Scooby's the star of the show, obviously, right? It's named Scooby-Doo. He calls him the Shaquille O'Neal of the show, Shaq. He explains that people love animals more than they love people and that they love more. They give more love to their pets than they give to people. And he said that Scooby's vulnerable and he's lovable and he's not brave. And that's a lot like the kids who watch that show. But the, like the kids that watch, he likes to think that he's brave. This is a really pivotal character as far as cartoons and Saturday morning TV went in uh, the development of pop culture and Scooby-Doo is a name that I think generations will probably continue. It'll, it's a name that will continue to live on as humans go on.
So the next film I'm kind of franchise I'm going to talk about um, is um, one that has always been super popular. Um, it's one that I've just kind of started really getting into, but it's Star Wars. So Star Wars has had um, a lot of, they have a lot of cool creatures and some of them really do take after some of the animals that we have here in reality. Um, and so one of those that we were just more recently introduced to is the Porg. Now the Porg are these tiny little cute creatures that are found on this island. Um, I'm not going to try to even remember <laughs> which what it was called. Um, but they look more so like a penguin it, it's like a penguin and a puffin kind of had a baby um and they kind of are just on this island and they meep about and they're just all kind of there um they don't have like a huge a huge role to play necessarily inside of the movie but they became very popular very quickly um when the films came out um but another species or another animal or critter or creature that was that has been been in it since the beginning are wookies and wookies uh the most famous wookie would be chewbacca or chewy um and they're like these super tall hairy bear-like creatures um and I'm going to butcher this name, but they're native to Kashyyyk. Don't come for me. <laughs> but they are, like I said, they're kind of bear-like, almost Sasquatch-like. And they are um, super strong with a very short temper. And they have been very huge, played a very huge role throughout this entire film series. Um, Chewie being one of the most notable characters from this film and one of the most loved. So, so loved they have. Chewie is a character you can meet actually at Disney World now. Um, and he gives the best hugs. Another one is actually a, a loath cat. And they're like these small felines, members of the Tuca family, and they're native to Lothal, um, which is really grassy, and they're it's they're on a outer rim planet, um, and they're also super temperamental. They've got super sharp teeth and claws. Um, they do really look like like a cat, like a cute little cat almost i know that this the this specific creature is found more so in like the animated versions of star wars versus the the live action ones but they're really cool um there's the ack dog and they are more of they look more like a lizard than they do a dog um and they are used by handlers but they're forced so um a lot of times jedis will have them as pets or companions 
because their hides are actually resistant to lightsabers. Do either of you have a favorite Star Wars creature? I've never seen the Star Wars movies either, um, so I'm not the best candidate for this. But I do know that there's... What are, what are the little teddy bear ones called? Oh, um, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, please hold while Matt, Matt put it in the chat just so you're aware. Oh, thank God, because I was about to go out, wake up Adam, and make him tell me. <laughs> um, you're talking about the Ewok, which no, are... no, 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 no. That that's a that's a bird from Australia. That's like you know six feet tall. That's oh yeah. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of emu. I'm emu. so sorry. Emu. It's not okay. emu. It's not an emu, even though they are scary enough to be <laughs> a part of um, a fictional world. Um, but the Ewok are those like little Ewok, teddy bear things. Very different. And I believe those are the guys that um, are on the trains that steal steal stuff. Is that? No, I'm thinking of a different creature. I, like I said, I'm a newbie to the Star Wars world, and my husband is giving me a crash course. Oh. Everything Star Wars. Oh, let's 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 go and fix that right there. Ewoks are little teddy bears. They live on the moon planet Endor. I even know this. I've never seen the movie. Congratulations. <laughs> they used hang gliders. I they only little... know about them because I really like Jim Henson. That's fair. <laughs> Which ones am I thinking of that are like they like roll in on that like big train thing? They're like the the ones that come in and like they steal different like metals and stuff. Oh, well, you're not thinking of the those are squirrels. Pretty, <laughs> they're called squirrels. 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 Is is this from a visual medium, like a cartoon or a? Uh no, from the mo like uh from the, movie. from the movies. I Which believe one? they're also featured in the Mandalorian. Are oh so you're thinking of Tatooine probably? Yeah. Is it a desert planet? I have some of those. Mm -hmm. Is that the is that the the are you talking about the guys who go? Yes. Yeah, that's the oh. I have like I can see that like I I can picture them perfectly. Tatooines. I just got a new one the other day. It's a a Jawa. Yes, the Jawas. Wait, is it the Jawa? The Jawas are the short ones. They're not the ones that do the screaming thing, though, with the staff. It is the is it Tusken not? Raiders. Oh, the Tusken Raiders, yeah. Because those are the ones. Those are the ones in the Mandalorian. I believe mm -hmm. that they go and help fight that big worm thing. Mm -hmm. That's all I got, folks. The, 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 that's all, folks. There's also just basically Bigfoot on Hoth. I always thought that was kind of funny. Matt, can you talk about Looney Tunes now or no? We're going to keep talking about Star Wars. I'm going to talk about Looney Tunes, but <laughs> let's be honest, okay? Looney Tunes has got a bunch, a bunch of different animal characters, right? You talk about Bugs Bunny, Sylvester the Cat, you know, Tweety Bird. I think I saw a Pootie Cat, you know, all that good stuff. There's Taz, there's Daffy Duck. There's so many good choices to choose from. Elmer Fudd's a bit of an animal in his own way. 
you know, I respect it. And Yosemite Sam is really an animal in his own way. I think my favorite is Foghorn Leghorn. Foghorn Leghorn. I said, I said, I said. Who speaks like this? I loved Foghorn. Actually, Foghorn Leghorn used to be my favorite until pretty like Benoit Blanc from Knives Out. References I don't get. But lately, my favorite Looney Tunes character, and the one that I think has maybe the weirdest origin story to them all, is a man named Michigan J. Frog. Now, Michigan J. Frog is a frog who stands on two legs, who wears a top hat. And he's also known for singing ragtime so he'd pop out his little cane and you know the um this there's the tune ragtime gal there's like a song you go hello my baby hello my honey that's michigan j frog it's pretty freaking sick matt that was pretty good i appreciate that i just gotta say i've been working on my michigan j frog i could tell you've been working on your michigan j frog absolutely i love michigan j frog i think you are michigan j frog in a way he he he's pretty dope he actually only pops dope. up in one episode of the original Merry Melodies, which was the original Looney Tunes, like where it all came into. Um, and he released December 31st, 1955. And he was actually the star. It was called One Froggy Evening. And essentially what it was, was he was this singing, ragtime, dancing frog that this guy comes in and sees this frog performing and all that kind of stuff and he's like holy crap i'm gonna be rich right i just found a frog that sings and performs vaudeville and everything like he was like i mean michigan j frog was a a showman only to discover that this man who wanted to profit off of it um caught on too late that michigan j frog would perform for him and only him because Michigan J. Frog was just a normal frog, but would only perform for him. So he wouldn't make any money off of it. He re- appeared in a couple cartoons later that weren't the original Merry Melodies. But what I thought was really interesting is that Michigan J. Frog was based on Ol' Rip, the horned toad. In 1897, to start this story, there was a horned lizard, which they're also colloquially known as horned toads, was placed into this cornerstone, um, a corner brick of the Eastland County Courthouse in Texas. Um, And it was set to be, it was set up like as a time capsule, right? So they put in a couple other things. There was a Bible, a bottle of liquor, you know, your necessities for some of us. But there was also this horned toad put in there. And the courthouse, 31 years later, it was torn down in 1928. And so they decided to open the cornerstone because it was this cornerstone brick that was the capsule. So when they took the building down, they then cracked into the brick. And allegedly, a live horned lizard came from the time capsule. And so allegedly, there was this horned toad that hibernated or lived or something as an entombed animal for 31 years and then he went on tour he like he met calvin coolidge and then died 11 months later but 
1973, the body then was stolen from where it was on display. And a letter explained that the findings of him alive were actually a hoax. And so (laughs) there's this whole conspiracy now where this letter says, hey, there's a coffin with the body of this horned toad that was actually in the time capsule. And this one here that lived was a substitute. But now people think that the one in the coffin was the substitute and the real one is in the courthouse or in a private collection. And nobody knows what happened with this horned toad. But this toad that was a reference named Old Rip, referencing Rip Van Winkle, then was the exigence potentially for Michigan J. Frog. And so the story behind Michigan J. Frog, my favorite Looney Tune, is pretty wild. And I would, this is one of those folklore things, old Rip, that I find utterly fascinating. Matt, you do love your folklore. But there is one fiction universe that I love the folklore from. And it is a universe that I have revisited many, 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 many times over the years. I believe this show first aired at some point in the early 2000s. I want to say like 2005, 2007, something like that. And it has just been a cult classic ever since. I'm talking about creatures from Avatar, The Last Airbender, and The Legend of Korra universe. And creatures in this universe are so interesting, and they are just some of my absolute favorites. So let's start with some of the more iconic ones. Um, Of course, there is Appa. Appa is a flying bison. Yep, yep. Um, Yep, yep, absolutely. But not only is Appa a flying bison, he is basically white uh, and brown. He has white with like brown arrows on him in his fur. But also he has six legs for some reason. And he can fly and he carries the team around. So if you've never seen Appa, just Google Appa, A-P-P-A. Because he is just super cuddly and cute. Um, Another creature that I just find so fascinating from the Avatar The Last Airbender universe is a creature known as the platypus bear. The platypus bear is exactly what it sounds like. It is what appears to be a sloth bear because it has a white V on its chest and stands at like, I don't know, seven or eight feet tall. It's got these big claws, but a platypus bill, a platypus tail lays eggs. And (laughs) that is just such a a fun way to describe it and a good way to get into some of the other fun creatures of the Avatar The Last Airbender universe because most of them, if not all of them, are just hybrid animals. So we have the platypus bear, and then a another favorite is the turtle duck. The turtle duck is exactly what it sounds like. It is a turtle duck. And it is basically this turtle shell with cute little duck legs and uh, a duck face. It's very, very cute. There's other examples such as the saber-tooth moose lion, which is exactly what it sounds like. Imagine a saber-tooth cat or a saber-tooth lion, but it's also the size of a moose with antlers, which is the most terrifying thing I think I can imagine. 
And then there's another one that is the polar bear dog that is Naga. Naga is Korra's companion animal. And again, it's a white dog that with the body shape of a polar bear that's basically the size of a polar bear. And she rides it around, and that is Naga the polar bear dog. And there are just so many fun animals in the Avatar The Last Airbender universe that I just absolutely adore. And I think they do a really good job of actually showing the individual animals in all of their hybridness, right? I think hybrid animals is something that we think a lot about, especially I know I did as a young kid, you know, what, what these different animals could look like if they were combined. So there's things like buzzard wasps, which are just basically wasps and like, you know, like turkey vultures or buzzards combined. There's a bunch of different weird variations on hybrid animals. And I think this universe does a great job of showing us some really fun combinations of animals in fiction. Okay, but if you had to choose between Appa and Naga, who are you picking? Okay, ready for this? Appa over Naga, but Pabu over Momo. I agree. Yeah. 100%. Pabu over Momo every time. Momo is a flying lemur. And Pabu is a, quote, fire ferret, but it's really just a red panda. It really is just a red panda. <laughs> but Appa every single time. Yeah. 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 So these these shows are some of the most emotional. And I've rewatched them. I can't even count how many times because they absolutely hold up for being as old as they are for animation. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't watched these shows yet, please go do so because they're incredible. I think even go watch all the things we've talked about today. I know I haven't seen Harry Potter or Star Wars, but I know the creatures because they're so iconic. They're so absolutely iconic. That wraps up our Animals in Fiction episode. Any other thoughts before we jump into our outro today? No, I don't think so. I think this was a really fun topic when we were talking about doing it. I got really excited because I can talk about Harry Potter creatures for forever and a day. Um, But I also knew what some of y'all were going to do, and I was very excited to hear and just talk about it because they're just fun. It's fun. So thanks, friends. I just like the frog. I mean, I I love frogs too, so I understand. The main reason I wanted to do this episode is because we, we speak a lot about people's first exposures to animals, people's first exposures to wildlife. You know, zoos are a great access point for some people to get those early experiences to animals. But for many, their first exposure to animals doesn't come from live creatures in a zoo or an aquarium, or seeing them in the wild. For a lot of young kids, their first exposure to animals is seeing them on television shows, reading them in their books, right? I The first books that my parents read to me were animal books. These are the experiences that are so formative to us, and these are experiences that are pretty much universal. Animals are all over the globe, and people see them in media every single day. I can't think of a single show that doesn't have a dog in it, you know? animals are prevalent in everything and you know media and fiction is a really great exposure to that and for many people that is their main exposure to it and that's why i wanted to highlight that today because we can't forget about some of those lesser talked about ways of exposure to wildlife and conservation shout out to the wildcrats who have been doing it for three generations of kids yeah truly right the crap brothers uh chris and martin they are really killing it right because they had um I don't even remember the first show. Like I don't remember Kratz what the Creatures, first. I think. Yeah, something like that. And then, then Zaboomafu, and, and then Wild Kratz. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. that wraps up our main topic for today. Let's jump into our outro. Where can y'all be found on the social meds? 
I can be found on Instagram at the Brittany underscore bunch, T-H-E-B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y underscore B is in boy, U-N-C-H. That was close. I that almost really did. Close. I thought about it. You can find me on Instagram at Matt Valga. That is M-A-T-T-V as in Victor A-L-I-G-A. And you can also find me on Instagram at cj.greco. That's cj.greco. You can find all of us collectively on Instagram and all social medias at the Birdie Bunch Podcast. When you visit us on social media, you can see lots of fun things, including cut clips, teasers, infographics. Um, as well as just what we're doing. Sometimes we'll just post like fun, you know, pictures of us doing cool things. In addition to following us on social media, you can also visit our website, thepurdybunchpodcast.com, for a bunch of really, really awesome resources. The first thing on there is a blog post with resources from our episode, as well as uh, links to both our merch store, where you can find some really amazing merch that you can support us with, or by visiting our Patreon. So Patreon is a basically monthly subscription service where you get a bunch of bonuses for subscribing. So at our base level, if you subscribe to our base level, which is only $3 a month, you get a shout out here in the Birdie Bunch podcast. So first of all, let's just shout out our patron, Gabe Anderle. Thank you so much for supporting us. But there are other grander tiers of support as well. So if you sub subscribe to some of those tiers, you get access to video recordings of the podcast or even a, mon a monthly bonus podcast. So if you're interested in some of those perks, sign up to our Patreon. If you can't support us financially, which is a thousand percent okay, we do just ask that you leave us a review. We love seeing new reviews. They make us feel good. They make you feel good. And they get new listeners for the podcast. If you leave us a five-star review on uh, Apple Podcasts, we will read it out here on the podcast. No new reviews this week, but like I said, leave those reviews. We'll read it out here. In addition, share this podcast with a friend. If you were listening to this episode and you thought, oh man, I really I haven't thought about whatever some of those creatures were that we talked about today. I haven't thought about turtle ducks in a million years. Well, you know, maybe your friend might enjoy listening about that too. So share this podcast with a friend. Maybe they'll really enjoy it. Anything else today, folks? Have a great week. Bye. <laughs> well, with that all out of the way, folks, thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Birdie Bunch podcast. We appreciate you spending your time with us. Until next time, we'll catch you next time. <laughs> Don't weaponize my failures. <laughs> catch you next time, folks. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Birdie Bunch podcast. We would like to thank Sarah Dunlap for designing our logos. Elliot Hyde for being our writing and production assistant, and Connor Whitman for being our music producer. The mission of the Birdie Bunch podcast is to inspire an inclusive community for conservation by using education to promote fascination.